it's weird how we got the worst of it like a week before the rest of the the continent got slammed and people were saying like it feels like real life day after tomorrow and it really does like things are happening in the weather that i never thought never thought about yeah. <laughs> you know like just such weird circumstances yeah it, i mean that, as much as that's a terrible movie with bad science the initial idea that climate change can mess up the gulf stream and like bring arctic air south that's at least based on something yeah i rewatched it recently and while it it still does have shaky science definitely like the underlying theme hits different in 2022 yeah <laughs> where it's like we have to face our nemesis the weather like in <laughs> 2001 or whenever that came out that seemed like yeah okay well, this is this is the thing this is why i have issues with roland emmerich as a director he always picks topics for his movies that are like things that i really care about things i'm really invested in like he's done he's done that he did one about 2012 he did uh yeah that's right. one about 10,000 bc like these are all things like that could be a really good movie made specifically for me and then he just does stuff <laughs> yeah. and then the, the last one he did was about there's a evil alien entity living inside the moon and then the moon is going to crash into the earth uh, yeah. so speaking of the world being a strange and unfamiliar place <laughs> uh let's talk about uh the the book we have today episode is Space Boy by Stephen McCraney. So we, uh, I was counting on being able to get the print books before we recorded this, but Indigo has failed me as my source for books that I was supposed to get them earlier this week, and I have not. They are still not there for me. So I have read this on Webtoon, which is I think what both of you have done as well. Uh, and if you're reading in print, it should be volumes one and two of not the like the giant omnibus, but of like the manga sized ones. And if you're reading on Webtoon, we are talking about up to episode 32. It's so wild that two Tankobans are only 32 updates on Webtoon. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot. That's I tried to calculate it. like how many pages is one update or one episode. And I think it's about 10. Like it's approximately so hard to tell, though, because the format comments. is so different. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm sad that you don't have the print volume for comparison, because when I was looking at these pages, I felt like I could see parts where, like, a print page had been cut up and rearranged. And so I was sort of interested to see what the print layout would look like in comparison to the webtoon layout. Um, but I'm also glad that I rec that I got to read this on webtoon because I've been really wanting to get more into webtoon. And this was a good motivator for me to just like really dive in and like take on a, a single series uh, and just like get the experience. 
which I do have some just general webtoon thoughts that we can <laughs> talk about at some point. Uh, I'm sure Jam also has some webtoon thoughts, but maybe we'll do this in order here because we haven't really even talked about the author. Sure. Well, well, first let's go with a character building question. Uh, so my question is like, I think pretty sure I know the answers to both of these from both of you, but let's do it anyways. Then my question is, what is the most monumental trip you've ever taken? So not necessarily the furthest you've ever gone, but the trip that seemed the most significant. Okay. That's interesting. Uh, you want me to go first? I mean, yeah, I got, I got an okay. answer. You can go first. Uh, all right. So my answer is going to be that the, the biggest trip I ever took was uh, I moved to Taiwan for a year and a half. And I did this right after university. So I did a, a four-year visual arts degree. Wasn't sure what to do with that. I had taken a, a course in Chinese language. So I thought, well, I have this, at least the beginnings of this skill. I have a degree. That's enough to get me a job in Taiwan. Uh, why not do that? And this was the first time that I had moved out of my parents' house. Uh, the first time, not the first time I'd been on a plane, but the first time I'd been on this long a trip. Uh, first time I'd been out of North America. And then I just like landed there and lived there for like 18 months. Uh, so that was a, that's sort of a big deal. Oh, and I'm JD. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm Jeff Ellis, and um, you guys probably can already guess. I'm going to say that the most significant trip I took was my trip to Japan uh, in 2004 uh, until 2007. So it was like uh, two and a half years living in the city of Kofu. But I actually think in, even more significant than the traveling to Japan was the voyage home, because going home, I decided to try and take in as much of Asia as I possibly could. So instead of flying direct from Tokyo to Vancouver, I got a special kind of airline ticket where all my flights would route out of Hong Kong. And so I went from Tokyo to Hong Kong and then Hong Kong to Beijing and back. And then I went to like Seoul and, you know, so I did Korea, China, uh, Vietnam, Thailand, uh, Cambodia by bus, um, and uh, the Philippines before getting home. And it was like this whirlwind, like month and a half, two months of like Asia um, before heading home. Um, and I think that was just significant in just the amount I saw and did. And uh, my memories of like sleeping in the Hong Kong airport and my familiarity with the station of IMAX where you could get free internet <laughs> and they were always broken and they just needed to be restarted. And so I made it my life's goal every time we went to the Hong Kong airport to reboot all the IMAX so that other people could check the internet for free. So you kept routing <laughs> through Hong Kong? Yeah, it was all routed through Hong Kong. Oh, how strange. I think if it, if it was direct flights, it would have cost more, but because it was routed through Hong Kong, it was all kind of encompassed as like one super ticket. Um, How interesting. Yeah, I don't know exactly. Some travel agent could probably explain it better, but it was sort of like, 
We got a deal on the flights because everything routed out of Hong Kong. I'm Jem. Uh, I love to travel. I really miss traveling. It's definitely been kind of like ratcheting up in the pressure within my psyche, not having been able to travel the last two years, two plus years. And I've been on a lot of trips. But when I think about the most monumental to me emotionally, uh, the one that does spring to mind is the trip to Europe I took in 2003. So this was definitely the longest trip I'd been to, been on at that point. It was the first time I'd left the continent. Oh, that's not totally true. Since moving to North America the first time, and then like as an adult, traveling outside the contiguous United States and Canada, let's say, for the first time. It was also like the first trip that I took as an adult where like the finances and the planning were under my own control. And I just had so many revelations on that trip. I think about myself and the way that I get through hardship. You know, I experienced several like points of hardship on that trip that I had to just kind of muddle my way through on my own and without my parents there I mean and also just the first time I really awoke to how similar and yet different life can be uh, in these different places around the world and that kind of like similar but different is the thing that still attracts me to travel these days where you know there are certain things that are so mundane and you know preparing a meal, going to the grocery store, these kind of things kind of connect us as humans, getting together as friends, how we relate to each other. And that's kind of the joy that I always feel. And then there's always this undercurrent of strangeness. And the one that really sticks out to me is that the second we landed in London, me and my boyfriend at the time, we were couch surfing on some random person's couch. Uh, and we got directions to take the tube and everything. And the direction said to turn down a street. And we ended up walking right past the street because it was so small, I thought it was an alley. And just that shift in perspective of like what a street could be, it really started to kind of unlock a lot of the ways that I see the world. So yeah, I, I picked that trip. Cool. Okay. Uh, let's uh, also talk a little bit about uh, Stephen McCraney. So I did a little bit of research. There's not a huge amount about this artist online. Uh, I did find some interviews that he'd done. Space Boy is not his first comic. Uh, he published a, a series of graphic novels called Mal and Chad, which uh, I'm pretty sure I've seen around. It's a like graphic novels for young readers. It's about uh, a boy genius and his talking dog. And he's also done a book on uh, how to draw, which I haven't read, which is called Brick by Brick, Principles for Achieving Artistic Mastery. And then after finishing those projects, he uh, started drawing Space Boy. He, this was, I think, this is in the earlier days of Webtoon. So this started in 2015. Uh, I don't think wow. Webtoon was very big at that time. And he, uh, I think, drew two episodes of that uh, and then submitted it for the, the contest that Webtoon had. Uh, and then he, Space Boy became a, uh, I, like, I forget what the, the names of the tiers are, but he's in sort of the top tier 
of the webtoon hierarchy. And Spaceboy has been updating. Uh, I'm pretty sure he does it in seasons. Like, I don't think it's every week, but when it's updating, it's every week. Uh, and it's like been going since 2015. The first print edition of Spaceboy came out in uh, 2018. Uh, there are currently 326 episodes on webtoon which is a lot of comics yeah no Uh, understanding how long even 32 episodes (laughs) is that's bewildering to me like i thought this was long going into it uh knowing knowing the full episode count yeah and uh i think there's like 15 print volumes at the moment which is not yet the whole story wow um it doesn't surprise me that this is his is not his first comic uh, I hadn't heard of his other comics, uh, but I'm surprised he's not a concept artist, to be honest with you. Hmm. His, his art has, we can discuss it later, but his art is a very concept arty kind of flavor to me. Yeah, like I, I, like I said, there wasn't a lot of information uh, about him, so maybe he does stuff like that as well. I'm not sure. Uh, the only other thing I know is, oh, I guess there's a couple other things. So he he's from Albuquerque, New Mexico. He says that the, because uh, we, Jeff, you brought this up earlier that the pages look like they were designed for print. They were. They were designed with print in mind. But uh, I have to imagine that he was also thinking about Webtoon because Webtoon was the first place anyone saw these pages. And they work really well as Webtoon. We can talk about that later. But they were, because uh, I had had that question too. And, and, uh, and he said in an interview that they were designed for print first. And that part of the original idea for the story was that uh, he moved around a lot as a kid. So the idea of like ending up in a new place and having to, to make friends is something that he had a lot of experience with. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. I can see that. I find it really fascinating that he says he designs for print first. Yeah. I would love to learn more about that process. Yeah. Well, this is why I was hoping I would have these print books so we could yeah. see what they look like in their natural element. Uh, because when I first started reading Webtoons, this was one of the first ones I picked up on. And one of the things I liked about it was how well designed it felt like it was for the format of Webtoon. Right. You have these like long scrolling panels that you have to go through like quite a distance to get to see what the, the next image is. And it really affects the pacing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, that's fascinating to me. Yeah, I mean, this is why I'd like to see the print pages because I'm curious how what he does with some of these longer points. And like, there's there's moments where it almost feels like it's interlocking panels that are then just pulled apart. So in order to create that length, to create that sort of pacing change. Like, I mean, I've I've just started dabbling in Webtoon and I optimized or optimized a bunch of my all my Christmas comics as webtoons just as an experiment and like I was basically just cutting out panels and stacking them up one on top of the other and then after reading Space Boy I was like oh wow like maybe I should have been more creative maybe I should have thought about using Photoshop to stagger the panels or like stretch things out with caption boxes or something like uh, it feels like he's doing more than just using the slice tool on these pages, right? Yeah. So I had the same experience. I actually reformatted a, a fair chunk of my comic Waste of Talent for Webtoon. 
And I'd, I'd learned enough about Webtoon at that point that I did some of the reformatting that you're describing of like staggering the panels and like stretching the backgrounds like up and down so it fills the whole screen in point. Uh, it's not a narrative comic. It's a punchline driven comic. And I think that changes things somewhat. Definitely a lot of the episodes are shorter. And I was giving advice to someone who's new to comics not too long ago and telling them basically you'd need to decide whether you want your comic to be for print first or for webtoon first. And the advice that I gave them is like, regardless of what you choose, keep your bubbles on a separate layer. <laughs> I think that's that's the hardest part is being to like move around the elements and like squash and stretch and reframe things for a very, very different aspect ratio. And let's call it a page turn, screen turn experience. I, I'm, I'm curious to try it again. I, I do think that comics in this medium have, can create a different experience than a print comic does. I'm not gonna say that one is better or worse. I think they're different. And I think they have opportunities to create different experiences. And there's a certain intimacy to something being on your phone, you know? And I, I love when you scroll into it and it like takes up your whole screen. Somehow to me, that feels like very, quiet and intimate and it feels like very close to you because I think the the phone in our in the context of our lives it feels like almost a peripheral to our own selves right like the phone architecture kind of melts away in my experience of this whereas the book always feels like a book mm. and that's like I like feeling books I love books but it's different it mm. always feels like you're separate from this object right Whereas that distance feels a little closer on Webtoon somehow. Mm. I also spent some time reading this book or this Webtoon on my web browser on my laptop. And I had my laptop positioned like it is for this Zoom call right now on a stand. And I just leaned back on the couch with the mouse and was like scrolling and watching the pages scroll by. And I found that I enjoyed that experience too, because I think a lot of it is that vertical movement instead of the like horizontal page turns. You're like, it's like you're just swiping through like an endless ribbon of a story until it hits the end of the, the episode. Then you click the next button to go over to the next one. Then you're vertical again, right? Yeah, it does feel more immersive. Like as much as I like that books have that page turn aspect to them. And it's a really useful tool to sort of structure your pages around when the reader is going to turn the page so you can like hide information. Like the scrolling, you feel more sort of lost in it. Where you don't know how long you're going to be scrolling until you get to the next, to the, to the end of the section. Yeah. Um, so it's, I don't know, it, it feels, it's, yeah, it's, it's more immersive is the best way I can describe it. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the vertical scroll, I think, works, works pretty well. And I think I really enjoyed this as just showing, I think, what Webtoon is capable of, because I think maybe some of the other Webtoons I've looked at have been, you know, either not taking advantage of the scroll as much, or I think the other thing for me is it was just nice to read something that doesn't feel like it's cut out of the Clip Studio Paint cookie cutter. And that's, I'm saying that as someone who uses Clip Studio Paint 
for most of my work, but like there's certain shortcuts in Clip Studio Paint that I find are really prevalent in a lot of webtoons. And it sort of has a very sameness to it. Like there's a homogenousness to some of the webtoons I've seen in the past. So it was really nice to just see something that was very stylistically different and just really presented in a way that was really taking advantage of the medium it was in. And like, there was a couple things I took note of too, which is like, there's a few times where the last panel of an episode would be the first panel of another episode because he was not assuming you were reading these things concurrently. So it would sort of almost be like a little bit of a recap panel, which I didn't feel hurt the reading experience for me. And then I really enjoyed how he added bonus content at the end of some of the episodes. So you'd scroll to the bottom where there's the end of the episode, but then he would have these really loose sketches of him talking to the audience and he had fan art and he was talking about like going to New York City Comic Con. And um, it reminded me of the way that web cartoonists would engage with people through their blog in the past. And so it's like taking that webcomic blog and sort of attaching it as an element within the webtoon is I'm going to steal that idea like that's <laughs> yeah and just to be <laughs> clear about I think why he's doing it that way instead of typing up a blog at the end webtoon doesn't give you a lot of space to write comments after you get like a couple sentences so if you want to write more than a couple sentences you have to include it as an image that said there is a comment section mm -hmm. below every webtoon that for these larger webtoons can get quite active. And uh, I didn't wade into the comments for this, but uh, I could see there was a lot of activity and discussion back there. You know, people making up their own theories. It's like a mini forum for just one cartoon that everyone has a login into because they're all logged into webtoon. And I think that's another interesting aspect of the experience that uh, I didn't engage in, but is clearly there and a part of it. Uh, it definitely did make me kind of nostalgic for the web comics experience, engaging with an audience in that way. Like you're there every week and you're you're kind of communing every week with these same people over this same topic. It makes me sad that it's in a walled garden now. But I'm mm. glad to see that readers are still interested in that level of interactivity. I think that's a that's a good thing. Yeah, I mean that's. Clearly that's a, as someone who is a cartoonist, I feel like that's a, the main dilemma of Webtoon is that Webtoon is a site owned by someone and controlled by someone. And the amount of control you have over your, how your own work is shared and displayed is limited versus uh, having it on your own website. And the solution I've come up with for my own work is to have both, to have a, a website with my own that I have total control over and also to sort of parallel it on uh, Webtoon. Because uh, quite frankly, I get way more readers on Webtoon than on my own website. It's really hard to argue with that. Yeah. yeah, but I think having the aesthetic control and the editorial control and also the security of having it on your own website, I think is, I still would highly recommend that for anyone making mm -hmm. a serious attempt at this. Yeah. Like yeah. We don't know that Webtoon is going to last forever. Who knows? No social media site has ever lasted forever. Yeah. For sure. yeah. Uh, I did also want to say something uh, about the general Webtoon experience. 
which is I read it 100% on my phone, which I think is kind of the way that most of the audience would be experiencing it. And that's what I wanted to go for. But I also recognized and was lamenting the fact that Webtoon lends itself very well for you to be able to engage with it when you're out and about, when you're out on the train, when you're going from A to B, uh, when you have like a spare five minutes. And I was, I don't go much anymore for obvious reasons, uh, but I actually did get an opportunity to get some of that. So I had a couple of errands, I had a couple of times on the train over the course of our reading period for this. And yeah, it's really nice to like the immersive quality of it that we mentioned, it does allow you to kind of escape where you are, you know, like escape into this world for this brief period of time, right? And you kind of can decide how many episodes you have to scroll through and the way that it's chunked out, like you can put it down and come back very easily. I really liked that experience. And I, I know that this format, it was originally developed, I think in Korea, uh, it was definitely aimed at that type of commuter, you know, like someone going to work and back, going to school and back, and they just have this little portal and they check in on their stories on their way to their day. And I think that's really interesting. And kind of knowing, knowing the where of where your readers statistically are likely to be and what they're statistically doing, it also kind of, I wonder if that changes the authorial experience. Hmm. Hmm. You would think it would have to, at least for any creator who's like thinking about it with any in any depth because that's yeah. every other format for comics is like that like the we we read a Calvin and Hobbes books for a previous trade waiters episode and like those were designed to be read in the newspaper once a day one little strip and that's all you get the, yeah. like the initial the initial format has a lasting impact on the reading experience even when it moves over to a new format all right, do we want to talk about this story? Because we have not at all. Um. <laughs> I, I would like to talk about Space Boy. I had one final webtoon note though, which is because okay. I didn't have any commuting to do. I was just reading it at home. And so I was reading it on my phone and then I kind of was like, ah, oh, geez, you know, I bet I wouldn't have such a crick in my neck if I could just like sit back and like, use a big monitor because I've got this big laptop with me and I switched over. But the one thing I will say is like the, there's not a lot of seamlessness in that. So it, it kept telling me things were bookmarked, but like when I went to my laptop, my laptop browse, even though I logged in with my account, it didn't know the last page mm -hmm. I was on. Like it, it had marked the pages I had read, but it didn't take me, when I clicked on Space Boy, it didn't take me to the last page I had read. I had to go find the episode, right? And then navigating to a particular episode, if I wanted to get to episode 32 on my phone, that's really easy. Getting to episode 32 on uh, my laptop is more difficult, right? Um, so it is definitely geared to your phone and... I mean, I understand why, but I also would say a little bit of, you know, like the ability to like pick up where I left off if I change devices would be a nice thing for Webtoon to add, in my opinion. We'll I will also add. add, I don't like the binging experience. <laughs> like for, for those kind of physical reasons, like your back, your eyes. I mean, I'm saying this because I'm old, but... <laughs> <laughs> 
I think it will have an impact on anyone eventually, but I also felt like a weird twinge of guilt of like, I should not be sitting here staring at my phone this long. Mm. Like we've been constantly training ourselves to like try to reduce your screen time. And like, if you have a book, even if it's a digital book, I don't feel that same guilt. Hmm. So I found that very odd. Hmm. All right. So uh, the story, basically Space Boy is not, at least especially in the part that we've read, Space Boy is not very much about Space Boy. <laughs> it's mostly about Amy, who is a teenager who grew up somewhere in deep space on an asteroid, like a asteroid mining base. Her dad gets fired. With, and because it's a company asteroid, they then have to move back to Earth. But the problem is they're so far from Earth that it takes 30 years to get here and they can do it in cryogenic suspension so they don't feel that the passage of that time, but everything they knew is completely gone. They can never go back. And then she uh, goes to high school and meets a bunch of kids and there's drama and uh, there's also this strange boy named Oliver who, uh, quote unquote, has no flavor. And uh, so Amy is trying to figure out what his deal is. Yeah, I liked the detail of uh, Amy being a synesthete. And it's something that we are introduced to panel one, you know, like immediately. Uh, and then it's explained fairly quickly. Uh, I would like to see more synesthesia brought in but I really liked that as a character trait. Uh, I also say like, I felt this writing felt very familiar, like knowing the, the type of emotion that Stephen wanted to channel of being, you know, like moving and being the new kid in school. Uh, that's an experience that I've had as well. And it did bring very true to that. I thought the emotional depth was quite good. However, I have a critique uh, because it, it does bid itself as science fiction, but also like a high school romance. And I think it, it does a lot better at being a high school romance than it does being a science fiction. Uh, it feels kind of weird to critique something this fluffy in this way, but I'm gonna do it anyway because it, it does lean pretty hard into sci-fi. I feel the level of technology is extremely uneven. So the fact that she grew up in a mining colony in deep space, uh, we said it's like, it's at least 300 years in our future, right? Because of that uh, generation shift. So they have interstellar travel, they have generational spaceship, they have mining colonies, they have the technology to sustain life on an interna international like space station. They have cryogenic freezing, and yet she comes back to earth and the one that pisses me off the most is that the school structure is the same. Yeah, yeah. That <laughs> the is social advancement fair. is not there. Uh, she's really fascinated by AR goggles, which 300 years in the future, guys, I feel like we're like 10 to 15 years out from that at most. <laughs> and so, like, the, so that unevenness, like, it kind of took me out of the story, but that's because I'm a huge sci fi nerd. That's, so that's, that's, my, fair. that's my main critique. Yeah. Like the, the school system stuff, definitely, I, I noticed that right away too. Uh, like I've worked in schools, I know where we're at and that we're in, this is not a static phenomenon. New research is being done all the time. Whatever school is going to look like in 300 years, it better not be what it looked like 20 years ago because even this, the way the school is depicted in the story is like not the way schools are right now. 
Yeah. Are they I doing agree. a lot of like uh, quizzes and stuff? Like, yeah, that's not really what we're doing anymore. <laughs> it felt very tropey. Like it felt more like a manga style high school yeah. than even a North American high school. Yeah. And I do think that was a stylistic choice. But again, like in terms of social technology, it did kind of throw me out. Yeah. And I will say that there is more science fiction-y stuff later in the series. Like I was, I because I don't have the print books, I was going to originally just check the print book to see how far into the webtoon it goes. So I had to look online and see what other people have said, how, how much of the webtoon is in those books. And then when I read those 32 episodes, I was like, that's it. Yeah. Like, I mean, obviously I had read further than that previously. I but you really don't get a lot of the story in just those 32 episodes. Uh, and I, I, I don't want to criticize the pacing too much because I really like that slow, drawn-out pacing that you get in manga as well. But, wow, there's not a lot of story that we can talk about right now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's slow burn. It's slow burn, yeah. which, as you mentioned, is nice. And, it, yeah, it feels tropey to me in that way. Like, it feels like it's leaning into these high school romance tropes which is not good or bad, it just is. Um, I didn't think that they were doing a lot of innovation in this space. Even the sci-fi elements are not that new for the genre. So that was a little bit disappointing, but I thought the writing overall was very solid. I thought the emotional basis was really solid. I really liked the dialogue. I really liked the structure of the plot and the pacing. So the writing quality I thought overall was quite high. Yeah, and given given the choice, like I, I think of it as like a Venn diagram of, for science fiction. There's like the science fiction that really doesn't have anything interesting or new to say about science, but is more sort of about characters and emotions and metaphor. And then there's a the science fiction that's really hard on science. Like I got to figure out like the chemistry of aluminum smelting to make this story work. And there's that thin overlap between the two circles in the middle that is like my favorite place to be. Uh, not very many stories managed to make it there, but given the choice between the hard science and the sort of, for lack of a better word, soft science version of science fiction, I would prefer personally the soft science because I want characters I can care about. Yeah. And this is like much more in that circle. Yeah, yeah. I would agree. Yeah. It's interesting, like listening to you guys talk. Um, it kind of reminded me that like, just for this episode, I went back to episode one and sort of started scrolling forward again, just to kind of refresh my memory. And like, uh, yeah, like there's a whole thing with space boy in a ship at the beginning. And then there's some scientist who gets assassinated and like that, none of that has been picked up again uh, since those pages, since those episodes. And now I got so sucked into Amy uh, high school drama that I actually like, honestly, I, when Oliver first showed up, I was like, oh, right, this is called Space Boy. Like, <laughs> like I thought Amy was somehow Space Boy, you know, like, and um, it's like, yeah, I got, I, I think you kind of lost the the big plot a little bit and got just really into the emotional character stuff. That stuff does come back. Like, those, those are not abandoned threads. They will become important later. Uh, I don't want to be too specific because... Sure. Uh, in terms of spoilers, we're only talking up to episode 32, but we do yeah. find out what the connection is between all these things later. Right. I'm glad. Yeah. I mean, 
I mean, this is, I mean, this is the thing, like, even though I'm saying that, yeah, I kind of lost track of the bigger story. I didn't mind because yeah, I really, and I think maybe, maybe this says something about how far away I am from high school. Uh, I'm not a teacher in high school and I haven't been in a high school in a long time. So for me, I was just like, oh, right. Yeah. You go to classes, you make your friends, like there's the pop quizzes and you're at the cafeteria. Like a lot of that, I was like, yeah, yeah, high school. But like, it is also tropey. And like, it isn't a future high school. It could just be a high school today. Absolutely. Well, high school today with augmented reality glasses thrown in. I enjoyed the idea of the net gear. Like it felt like the natural progression of where we are with our phones. But uh, Jam, I think you make a good observation that like, you were like 15 years away from people having cameras on their rings and augmented reality glasses. It's not something that would be alien to the the space colonists uh, like it is here in the story. Yeah, and I also felt like there, there's a point in the story where Amy isn't sold on the idea of net glasses. Like, oh, this takes you out of like talking to people face-to-face. And I felt like, hmm, this is a, a grown adult talking about his own experiences at that point. <laughs> also, she grew up in space. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, it, it's justified in the story. It, it's like, it makes sense for a character who's like 30 years out of date compared to all her friends. But uh, I don't know. I, I feel like he saw this connection between himself and his character and said, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put that in this character. Yeah, yeah. It's, I don't know. I, I can sympathize both ways because like I'm definitely like I'm in a state where I'm trying to spend less time on my phone. And so maybe this character wanting to live a richer life or like avoid phones because essentially that's what these glasses are. Like I'm like, oh, yeah, I kind I kind of get that. But yeah, it also has a little bit of that old man yells at cloud kind of vibe <laughs> to it. Um, I mean, it's interesting that when she first discovers the AR glasses, her classmates reveal to her that everybody's got these crazy digital avatars and like everyone just spends all their time with their glasses on so they can just like see the craziness that's created by this augmented reality glasses. And like, I don't know, it's like part part of me felt like this seems a little impractical because if somebody is four feet tall, but their avatar makes them look like a 10 foot tall, like orc, um, that could cause some problems, like <laughs> safety wise, like when you can't tell relative distances of, of what's physical and what's not. But I mean, I also just sort of, it seems like a bit of a, like a one and done, because they sort of show like, oh, everyone's got these crazy avatars. And then we never go back into it. It's like, now it's just Amy in her day to day. And every once in a while she puts her glasses on and it's assumed that she's seeing all the crazy avatars again, but like, we're, we're not going back there again, which I mean, as an artist, I understand that like, if you've established this thing, like, oh, everyone can look like anything. And I have to draw a dragon and people with horned heads and people that are dinosaurs and, you know, like, as a cartoonist, I can understand why you're like, you know what, but they're all just teenagers that wear a uniform. <laughs> I, I get that. But it's like you set this up and then you're not willing to sort of, you, you've built the sandbox, but then you don't want to play in it. If that yeah. Makes 
Yeah, I feel like uh, a lot of the sort of the sciencey stuff that's in this is um, like just put in there because, oh, right, it's science fiction. It needs to be the future. Mm. Uh, not because not because he had anything really interesting to say about what would it be like to live in a, in a virtual reality world all the time. Yeah. which uh, I mean- and, I, and to be fair, I feel like with this kind of science fiction where it's sort of on the, the softer end and it's all like metaphor and stuff. I feel like what you have, what writers will do, and I, I do this myself because my story that I'm writing on is like not that, uh, it's hitting a lot of the same, uh, hitting a lot of the same beats as this one, which is probably why I like this story so much. Yeah, uh, not to gas you up, John, but I think you're doing, you're executing this premise a lot better from a <laughs> science fiction high school perspective. I, I will accept that compliment. Uh, I will only like spice it with the comment that uh, Stephen McCraney draws comics so much faster than me that he's able to have those long drawn out things that I'm like chopping up and like doing at a faster pace just for the sake of getting it done ever. <laughs> uh, anyway, so like the, the with this kind of thing, you want to have like a, a, the reason it's science fiction at all at all is because there's a core metaphor you're trying to do in kind of a science fiction way. So the space travel the cryogenic sleep, uh, that kind of stuff, like the artifact, which we only hear about in like one scene right now, that's going to be more important later. Like that kind of stuff is the core science fiction metaphor. And so like that part is more well thought out and more structured in like this affects the characters and affects the world building. And the other science fiction stuff is just kind of like piled on top, like just to remind us that it's technically the future. Right. I mean, and that's like, like I say, I mean, it's like, I think the criticisms are valid, but I also definitely just got sucked into Amy's high school drama. Like I, it, that's the kind of shit I write. And I'm like, yeah, like, I'd love to do these great little characters, like, you know, take us up to the episode 32, like when Amy and Oliver are on the roof and like, they've got, you know, like this they're gonna climb through the the um skylight and then oliver lets her go so that he could get caught so she doesn't get in trouble like it's just like oh that's like such a sweet moment like oh like that's the kind of thing i would love to put in a story except i would just set my story in like the year 2022 or at this point probably be like I wrote it in the year 2001 and I'm finishing it in the year 2022. But, um, you know, yeah. anyways, I wouldn't do it in the future. It would just be a character beat in, in contemporary times, which I, this is the stuff I really liked about this. Like I thought the interaction between her and her friends, like the boy that has a crush on her, like all that stuff just rung very true to me. And I did make a note about Oliver being a manic pixie dream boy <laughs> that's fair like that. that's, that's accurate yeah <laughs> except like no it's like a moody emo dream boy right? ah. it's, it's like the inverse it's the trophy yeah. inverse of that which does yeah. come up because he's kind of like an edward cullen character isn't he yeah you're right yeah yeah without any well without some of the same sort of negative connotations <laughs> <laughs> perhaps uh, I did like the high school romance aspect. I thought, you know, for, for staying within its lane, it was doing it very well. Uh, it did suck me in. Like, I'm glad to know that the other 
plot elements that were laid up in the beginning do come back later because I am invested. I am invested enough in these characters because of how this interpersonal drama was written. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I haven't read all the way to the end of the webtoon, so I don't know how close to the end of the story this is. Hmm. Uh, it could be another 15 volumes for all I know, but I, it feels like it, it shares another trait with manga where, and he said that there is going to be an ending. So I assume that he has in mind what that's going to be. So he's written the beginning and he knows what the end is going to be. And it feels like the middle is just doing the thing that manga does where like, I need to keep doing this because this is my job. I'm going to keep like stretching out the story until I can like eventually do my ending. Right. Which is, I think just a, an aspect of like, this is one of the things about comics is you've got to make money at it. So sometimes that means cutting your story short. Sometimes that means thinking of new things that can happen in the middle. <laughs> I mean, I think if I had any notes on the writing of Space Boys, I would just say it would be nice to have a few more non-Amy pages sprinkled in. Like, not a lot, Like, I, but I just think, when I think about it, I feel like there was maybe three or four kind of plot pages compared to the you know, 28 pages of like Amy in high school. And I just feel like I was starting to lose track of the, the mysteries, so to speak. Like, you know, there's even like the one page of the scientist being like, oh, Oliver had a feeling that's new. Like he's never had a feeling before. How did this girl elicit a feeling from him? And you're like, oh, is he an android? Like, but then like that gets dropped and it just like, you don't come back to it. Right. So I'm sure that it will get visited again, but I'm just saying after reading 32 episodes, like I couldn't even tell you what the A plot is. I can tell you a lot about the B plot, but I can't really comment on the A plot because they didn't give me enough of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, that would be a lot. Like I, I'm assuming, I mean, they, he has these books, they're published by Dark Horse. So they're obviously getting readers, but uh, I wonder what the experience is like for people who only know the story in print mm. uh, and the amount of story that you get before you have to buy another volume. But I mean, we've, with these 32 episodes, we've covered two volumes, right? Yeah. I would say like uh, there's about five pages of ongoing plot in two volumes of print story then, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, but I think you need to, you, you you frame Amy's plot as the B plot, but I think we need to admit that it's the A plot. And this is what I'm saying, like the rest of the plot and the science fiction elements are kind of set dressing. Right. Which right. is fine, but you have to just kind of accept that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've okay. noticed that as a comics reader, as I've gotten older, I'm even just as like a media consumer, I have way less patience than I used to. I think if I put myself back in the frame of mind where I was a teen and I was killing time, uh, I would find myself like enjoying Space Boy a lot more. I think like this slow aspect would be like, wow, I have something new to read every week and I can talk about it with my friends. And like mm. when you're at that age and you have so much energy and imagination and your friends are all the same, you can take like that one tiny sliver of canon plot or whatever and spin it out into your own whole world, you know? And I think 
that would be a lot more satisfying. But me now as an adult reader, uh, yeah, if something is less than four books, I'm like, woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's so, I mean. Television, amazing. Oh, yeah. and all of them are half an hour, even better. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I feel like that with manga too, where like, I don't know, I in, in some sort of ideal utopia where it's easy to make comics, you can just do those things that suit your story instead of having to integrate with publishing and marketing, et cetera, et cetera. Something that's sort of halfway in between the North American model where you're lucky if you get a sequel and the uh, Japanese model where you have to do volume one and then like keep doing volumes until your editor tells you to stop and then hurry and tie it all up. And then it's going to be like 30 volumes. Like I want something halfway in between where you can plan your ending. You can have like 10 volumes at the most, uh, get to that ending in a reasonable amount of time. And then there you go. There's your story. Yeah. But that doesn't exist. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's a tough one. Cause yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, yeah. When I was younger, I definitely was into like serialized superheroes a lot more. And now I'm a lot more into just like, self-contained plots but I mean yeah I mean this is this has been the, the the reason I struggle so much with manga in general it's like for me I mean I read the mangas we talk about on this show but like independently when people are like oh you should read this manga series I'm like oh and you look at oh it's just you know 75 volumes you're just like I <laughs> know if I can invest in that and then people are like no but like it gets really good at volume 25 and you're just like can I start at volume 25 well no no no. you need all the backstory <laughs> there's some really key stuff that happens to lead up to you wouldn't you wouldn't be emotionally invested in volume 25 if you didn't start at the beginning <laughs> you're like, oh my God. like do we want to talk about the art yeah yeah because I absolutely love the way this is colored. Not just the choices of color, but like the, the uh, and it's like probably not very many different brushes that he's using, but yeah. he's using these few brushes very well in a way that I find really interesting with this sort of like, almost like lino cut kind of line work to mm -hmm. like shade colors together. Yeah, I agree 100%. I was really struck by the art style uh, immediately. You can tell, despite the simplicity of the line work, that there's so much technical skill behind it that lets it be that simple. And yet that like, you know, the perspective is always spot on. The color choice is very spot on. I also really loved this kind of texture and grit. Uh, it also felt very bright. I think I will describe it. Like everything was, the colors were soft, but still very bright, usually very high in the, the value spectrum, right? Very light colors, but it held together very well and it felt very consistent throughout. Uh, mm -hmm. I also like the drawing style. I think the characters are very cute. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, he's, uh, uh, another thing he's doing better than me is having these really, really simple characters that you can draw fast. <laughs> <laughs> Always a plus. <laughs> I really yeah, and I, in one of the go ahead, Jeff. Oh, I was gonna say I really like the simplicity of his style, like just that you can convey the characters in such few brush lines, like that just really seems something 
aspirational for I think most cartoonists is to be able to just express the character in such such a minimal way mm. and it's and not that also go ahead yeah there's there's a there's a afterword on one of the episodes where he answers a question from a reader about the, the design intent and he talks about the shape language used for each character that Amy is mostly teardrop shapes and that Oliver is mostly triangles and that's what maybe like that and the way that he renders backgrounds with just this very kind of like very clean shape with minimal color variation let's say like that's what made me think he was a concept artist mm. it's just kind of a vibe maybe I mean, he did go to art school so maybe he just went to a concept art heavy art school i don't know i don't have to figure it out but i know <laughs> that's the vibe i got yeah, and the the sort of the scratchy texture lines that he does, he doesn't use them all the time, like they're not in every panel, but because they're similar enough to just the sort of the cell shading that he's doing elsewhere, it kind of like can move in and out seamlessly, so you don't notice when they're not there and you don't notice when they are there, there's just sort of, uh, and, and I think that's a smart way to do it where you don't have to have this like level of texture level of depth all the time because that would really slow you down to have to do these like scratchy shading lines on every single face you're drawing. But no, he could just kind of saves it for, for when it's useful. Yeah, I, I really like the art in this. I think that was one of the things that really compelled me initially. Uh, I don't know, I, I made a note to myself that I, it felt like a bit of an Astro Boy homage too. Mm. That Amy had these two pigtails that sort of felt reminiscent of like the points on Astro Boy's head and like- That's like interesting. The janitor character with the big nose and the mustache, like it just, I don't know, it just sort of felt like, uh, like it's, it's it's its own thing. It's not trying to be Tezuka, but like it feels like it's drawn by somebody who really liked Tezuka and maybe was influenced by Tezuka. Um, that makes a lot of sense actually like yeah based I, on I what else i've read from this story like i i think you must be right even the feet read is very tezuka to me like these kind of like abstracted pointy feet astro boys are more blobby but they're still very abstracted yeah also in the the writing like the one interesting thing that i really haven't figured out necessarily yet is and it doesn't come up very much in the amount we've read but I get the impression that this is some kind of like alternate uh, alternate reality because none of the place names match our world. Everything is like a, com a mashup of two other things. Uh, so there's like Britalia is a country and Germexico. And then there's no, there's no way that in 300 years, like all these different countries can just like team up and make a new country. That's not believable and I don't think it's meant to be I think it's just like this is kind of earth but not the earth you know I want to go back to Astro Boy because yeah. the title of the comic is Space Boy guys <laughs> Space Boy Astro Boy right <laughs> so I think yeah that's probably a pretty good guess <laughs> <laughs> I didn't read it as an alternate universe though I read that as like the population is expanding to the point where these cities are no longer distinct. Mm. And they're so huge that they have to be glommed together. Britalia is a weird one. Germexico makes no sense. Yeah. That's what I'm saying, though. And it's never explained. 
I don't think we're ever going to be told this is an alternate reality, but I don't know. It's, it's an interesting world building element that I feel like is maybe a way to hand wave like, oh, this doesn't have to be the actual future. I'm not trying to predict the future. Uh, and I don't know. It's just, it's just fun. Like, I yeah. want to know more about Britalia. What kind of food do they eat in Britalia? <laughs> Contemporary Kokomo is in Indiana. Okay, this is not Indiana because it's on a coast. That's true. Or could well, that be a coast of a lake, though? Uh, no, they, it, it's, um, oh, what's Baltissippi Bay. It's, a, it's on the coast of Baltissippi Bay. Uh, right. I... I didn't do, now I'm going to just say I didn't look at any maps or do any kind of uh, research into this, but like I missed Britalia, but when they first said Baltissippi, I just took that to mean uh, like Baltissippi Bay. I just took that to mean that the Mississippi had flooded to such a degree that like it now was in Baltimore and had created a bay and like America had this giant waterway dividing it because of global warming. Uh, but that might just speak more to like the ever-present anxieties uh, of my day-to-day life and nothing to do with this story. <laughs> I, I think it's intentionally unclear. Let me put it that way. It's neat. I thought it was fun. Yeah. I, I liked the weird names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It gets you, it lets you uh, do world building. Like this is a, this is not like future Seattle or future Portland. This is a completely original city that we have never heard of. So you can like ha- have a big uh, Ferris wheel in the middle of downtown just because. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah. It's no. also 300 years in the future. And this is where I go back to like the tech seems uneven. 300 years in the future, all of these cities could be raised to the ground and reconstructed anew. Yeah. All of them. That's plausible in 300 years. Yeah, I mean, 300 years is enough time for there to become a country called Germexico. That's not impossible. <laughs> like the globe looks like Earth. We see the Earth and it looks familiar. It's the right shapes. All right, we are, believe it or not, running out of time. Any, okay. uh, anything else you want to talk about while we still are here? Um. I mean, let's, yeah, it's gorgeous art. I I got into the story. I've read past episode 32, seeing as this is now one of my, my new discoveries that I enjoy reading on Webtoon. I'll probably keep chipping away at this, uh, probably more on a short spurts when I'm commuting kind of basis, but I know. I think I needed something to give me a reason to keep opening the Webtoon app. So I think that's, uh, that this is a good good reason to put put webtoon on my phone so yeah i know i liked it as a good recommendation john i enjoyed reading it and uh i think i would i would love to look at your print version when it finally arrives i agree i really enjoyed reading this i thought it was very fun uh i hope you will understand that my critiques were just structural i thought it was very enjoyable uh i absolutely would have this as a companion on my commute. Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously I'm the one who picked this book. It's my favorite Webtoon. Uh, I haven't spent a huge amount of time on Webtoon. There are some other ones that are really popular that I haven't even like tried to read, so I might enjoy those too, I don't know. But uh, when I 
was like first scrolling through Webtoon looking for things to read to sort of get the sense of like, what's the deal with Webtoon? This one immediately caught my eye. And then like a couple of episodes in, I was like, oh, this is like pretty similar to what I'm trying to do. Of course I want to read this. And it's all, all, all panned out. Like it's, I, I have not kept up just because my life is like that, but uh, I do want to read it all eventually. Are we going to do shout outs? Well, I'm Jeff Ellis, and I'm just going to, I'm going to shout out The Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery. I just watched that on Boxing Day, and I cannot think of another movie that has encapsulated all of everything we've been dealing with since 2020 in one movie and make it really fun and entertaining. And it's like, it's not a heavy duty thing, but like it, they got aspects of the pandemic, social media, influencers, Elon Musk, like it's all there. So my hat's off to Ryan Johnson on uh, writing another good subversive murder mystery. Yeah, I just watched that a couple of days ago and I love it. <laughs> I hope that he gets to make 20 more uh, Benoit Blanc movies. Yes. <laughs> I like to nominate it. Yeah. Also, Knives Out isn't on Netflix. <laughs> no, I know. Yeah. I, <laughs> like, I haven't actually watched Knives Out, and I was like, Oh, you should. It's oh, great too. Last, but last yeah, it's not on Netflix. Last I checked, yeah. it's on CBC Gem. Is it? Is it for real? Yeah, it was. It wow, was on CBC Gem. Uh, it may have moved, but it was on CBC Gem at some point. I just bought it off Google because I know I'm going to want to rewatch it. So I have a shout out. If you enjoyed the AR glasses in a high school setting aspect of Space Boy, I highly recommend an anime called Denu Coil, which came out in 2007. It's 26 episodes long. I don't know where you can find it. You probably can't, but it's the best execution of AR glasses as a technology that I've ever seen in media. And it's still like, I still think about it to this day. Okay. And I... right. uh, I'm going to shout out the Rima Chronicles by Amy Kim Kibuishi. This started as a, a webcomic in the ancient days of the early early times of webcomics. It was called Riemann Mythology. And, and she's been working on this story on and off since then. And it's finally in book form. It's finally, like, I think, I'm pretty sure this was her goal from the start is to eventually have it be a graphic novel. And now it is. Uh, there are more volumes coming, but it was great to sort of, and I know this isn't going to be the experience of anyone who doesn't remember this ancient webcomic, but it was great to sort of revisit a world that I vaguely remember from many, many years ago. That's awesome. Right on. Our next book is going to be books one and two of Descending Stories by Haruko Kumota. Uh, this is also known as Showa Sendoku Rakugo Shinju. The Trade Waiters is presented by Cloudscape Comics. We'd like to thank Sleuth for the music. You can find us on Tumblr, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and we have a coffee or Kofi or whatever it is where you can help us to keep producing these episodes. Thanks for listening. Thank you.